to The Field Trip, a podcast about the future of commercial real estate, the future of law, and everything in between. I'm Alistair Fitzgerald, the CEO of Field, and you can check out what we're about at fieldql.com. But this is not a podcast about us. As the name suggests, The Field Trip is our opportunity to get away from our day-to-day and talk about something broader, the future of the industries we operate in. Interesting discussions with interesting people about things that fascinate us and we hope are of interest to you. Following from our first podcast discussing co-working, we continue this theme of flexible use of office space by today speaking with Jim Groves, the co-founder and CEO of Rubberdesk. Rubberdesk is the leading online marketplace for surplus short-term office space in the Australian market, with listings recently rocketing past 15,000 desks. We talked to Jim about how he started, where Rubberdesk fits in the office market landscape, and how the Airbnb analogy has some truth to it, but doesn't tell the whole story. We also spend some time talking about how Rubberdesk is organically building a strong sense of community amongst its hosts and guests from the ground up. I found the discussion fascinating. So here it is, Jim Groves, CEO of Rubberdesk. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the second episode of the Field Trip podcast, a podcast about the future of commercial real estate, the future of law, and everything in between. Today, uh, I'm joined by the CEO and co-founder of Rubberdesk, which one might describe as uh, Airbnb for um, surplus uh, office desks. Um, and so, welcome, Jim, to the podcast. Is, is, that, is that an accurate description of the Rubberdesk business? And if not, um, could you tell everyone you know, exactly what it is that you're about? Um, thank you. Um, hi, Alistair. It's, um, yeah, that's a pretty good description. Um, I've heard far worse. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, um, you know what, we started um, and we've been compared to Airbnb a lot um, and the Airbnb of, and there's lots of businesses which are the Airbnb of something or other or the Uber of something or other. Um, but there are some strong is, parallels here though, aren't there? Absolutely. And you know, and it works really well to get people across the line and uh, understanding, okay, well, it's a kind of a sharing economy type uh, type business, a marketplace. Um, and absolutely. So we, we, you know, we, we talk about it as being the marketplace to rent office space um, and flexible workspace. So um, yeah, but you've, um, yeah, you've described it brilliantly. And, and so where, um, you know, the, the office market itself, you know, is, is a complex beast. Where do you, or where does, where does Rubberdesk um, fit into that currently? Yep. So we fit into the flexible workspace um, portion of commercial real estate. So we are talking about um, uh, offices, private offices. We're talking about um, desks in open plan and co-working spaces. Uh, and we're looking at meeting rooms as well so um that's the those are the areas we work in uh, and that's well that's the physical commodity we talk about um and then there's the there's another dimension you need to add to that which kind of describes the, the term of residence you might uh, you might call it um and that's the duration that somebody's going to be renting these for so these are typically and we talk about it as being flexible workspace because the terms are typically pretty flexible. We're not looking at uh, leasing or subleasing of um, space. These are typically monthly rentals, three-month license agreements, um, and going to six months or 12 months uh, terms. So um, sh- shorter durations, um, uh, not, not as um, sort of, not, not take, typically not taking up full tenancies 
Um, so less than a tenancy, less than a full term. That's sort of the, the, the yeah. pocket where you, you guys find yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what the, the good analogy to look at it is um, if, um, you know, the, we, we fit very much into the co-working, uh, the serviced office, uh, the managed services um, world of um, workspace. Um, so we, and to that end, we have the likes of WeWork and uh, Regis and Servcorp and literally hundreds of commercial co-working and flexible office uh, operators and on, uh, listed on Rubberdesk. Um, and so you can, it's kind of looking at that um, segment of the market and we are a marketplace to be able to look at and compare those. But we are also um, this place where traditional businesses who have spare office space can rent it out on the similar terms that you might find with a WeWork, with a Regis, with a Compass, with a Hub Australia uh, mm-hmm. or any of those. So it's, um, it's kind of empowering businesses to... Um, to use their surplus office space, their underutilized assets, uh, and uh, earn rent from them in the same way that um, uh, the behemoths of the co-working industry are. Mm, no, that, that's interesting and worth mentioning, of course, how, how you and I first came to meet where I was, in fact, um, uh, a user of your service looking yes. for some some office space that was, was local. Um, and in fact, I think it was just after you'd launched and, and my wife is much more thorough at these kinds of research points than, than me um, after looking at some other options which were a bit poor um, and saying there was nothing local, she, she found your site and, uh, yeah. and I, found, um, I found some desks for myself and a few other of the, of the field team to uh, and that's, and walk from locally and, and that, you know, it, was a, it was a great outcome. It was a really good service. And that's, that's what's, you know, that you've, uh, I've only ever met good people through Rubberdesk and the community. So um, my business partner, David, uh, who is our CTO and does an amazing job. Um, he was a customer of Rubberdesk. Um, um, I built out the, the minimum viable product and the basic <laughs> And then he came on board and found some problems with it. And we got started working together. And then he loved the platform and wanted and jumped in and, and we became um, business partners. Um, uh, our accountants, our, uh, we used the law firm to be able to help us with our first capital raise, um, who were Rubberdesk, um, um, part of the community and Rubberdesk guests. Yep. Um, we, we've made some great connections and uh, it's, that's, it's, it's about the community uh, often. It's about the people because, you know, businesses, we always say businesses are built on great people and relationships, not just desks and chairs. So yeah. um, I, I'm really interested to get into that because that's certainly one of the things that I see as enormously valuable and perhaps a little bit different when, you know, if you're trying to pigeonhole rubber desk into a matrix of what the market looks like as somebody who's used the service and, and, you know, and, and, and often jumps onto your site to, um, to, to see what's there. The sense I get is that you guys perhaps are closer to that community side of things than others might be, but I'm, I'm keen to come back to that because I think that's a really interesting um, discussion and I don't, and I don't want to shortchange that. Uh, you also, ju- <laughs> I was going to ask about um, how on earth you convince your um, your business partner to join you in this quest, which you which you kind of answered. But we might <laughs> we might t- touch on that in the in a minute as well. Um, but first, but before we do that, um, you're I mean you're an investment banker by by trade prior to coming to to Rubberdesk um, with with stints in the UK, then then moving out to Sydney. Can can you talk um, a bit about that background? But particularly sort of how it is that that background has led you into doing this? Yeah, absolutely. Because I think it's, um, so my background was technology um, and financial marketplaces um, and 
developing, um, disrupting what has been a traditionally high-touch, high-brokered, high-value deal um, transaction size um, uh, market um, to a very low-touch electronic trading market. So to put it in perspective, we went, um, when I started in investment banking 20 years ago in London, um, we were using IT, but it was the very early days of electronic trading, which just transforms, you know, picking up the phone, talking to a broker, um, to customers doing it for themselves, um, able to manage their own orders. And so the market over the 20 years that I saw was, and I was um, on the electronic trading desk and the algorithmic trading desk um, in the investment bank, um, as well as building out the platforms and technologies, we saw a transformation of a very cumbersome, um, somewhat bloated, um, traditional high-touch market um, transformed to a very efficient low-touch market. And that's um, something that, um, you know, markets, marketplaces need to, to be successful, need to do. They need to, um, to, to, to identify where there are inefficiencies in a marketplace and opaqueness. Uh, and uh, through the use of a te technology, introduce efficiencies, reduce friction for transaction uh, purposes, and increase transparency for the consumer, for the for the end user, for the business uh, either end of the product. So that's really. Sorry, Jim, what can I just just ask to to clarify? So you were you're on the trading desk and involved in the IT side of things within yeah. um, the so I started off in, started off in uh, technology, um, yeah. um, originally supporting and, and uh, developing uh, the trading systems, um, moved into uh, building out, came out to Australia 11, 12 years ago, and was involved in the part of, part of the team that put together the, the first alternative uh, trading exchange to the ASX in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from there, I moved on to the business side and was on the trading desk uh, where we were um, helping customers with and clients with their electronic um, trading um, Interesting. Tools, and so just, just to dig into that a little bit. So when, when you're talking about building these systems, are you a, like, are you a, a developer, a software developer or software engineer by trade? Are you more sort of in the product management? Okay. Many years ago until I was told not to touch code anymore. Yeah. Uh, and then moved into um, uh, managing those project teams, yes. delivering those, those, um, those, those. Gotcha. So, um, yeah, so my background was delivering these, um, these, these big systems and, and projects and um, uh, trading tools that were used globally for, uh, for an investment bank. Um, and then implementing the um, part of the team that put that put together the uh, the alternative uh, exchange the ASX. So it was um, so that that's kind of creating efficiencies and um, as well as you know creating marketplaces. And so marketplaces has always been my um, uh, my area of expertise and something that's uh, very attractive to me because I like the idea of creating efficiencies, reducing friction, uh, and just making it easier for people to transact. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, saw it seeing the commercial real estate world uh, and uh, myself putting um, my wife in, in the, together with a um, uh, uh, helping her find an office with a friend who had spare office space and then seeing an advert for Airbnb as I got off of the, off the ferry at Circular Quay saying, you know, renting our spare room paid for our holiday. 
that's when the penny dropped that there was an opportunity for businesses to uh, use the sharing economy if there's an efficient marketplace that will enable them to do so, to get together, to, um, to, to, to find and compare resources and underutilized assets. So that's and where... Can I ask, was it... Um, because, you know, there's always these great stories that, you know, the, the penny dropped um, moment, but were you... Um, I mean, you'd been in a particular industry doing a particular thing very successfully for a while. Did you have your eyes open for an opportunity like this or you were really quite happy with what was going on and this, you know, this penny drop moment was so significant that you thought, you know, actually maybe I need to go and, and chase something a bit different? Yeah, so the, um, uh, I was very happy um, doing what I was doing. I, was, I had some great opportunities and I've spent 20 years at the same company <clears throat> uh, traveling the world and uh, moving from role to role. And so really, um, had, 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 I've got only good things to say about my career in, in mm-hmm. uh, those 20 years. So no, I wasn't really going around looking for, I've got to get out. I was never running away from something. And that's the key difference, I think. And that's like what I've spent my, um, my career doing, never running from problems, but running towards opportunities. Yeah, I w- certainly wasn't suggesting that, you know, you, you weren't liking what you were doing, but um, no, no, I, I think, think it's often a, a different perspective. People will be out there saying, right, I'm looking for the thing and this is, and they'll have a sort of a, a decision-making framework to analyze opportunities and they'll go, that's it. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, you know I, have, I have this, you know, this light bulb moment where I, I could see that there was a problem that needed to be solved and I was the person to do that. Um, but, but it sounds like that, that wasn't all the case. It was something could have banged you in the head and said, have a look at me. And it was so compelling, um, or certainly over time that, that you decided to give up something that you're very happy doing and moving, moving forward, which is, um, I think probably a better way to do it. There are a lot of people trying to, you know, superimpose a, a framework on, on an industry looking for sort of a gap in the system. It doesn't sound like that's, that's where you were coming from. Perhaps, yeah, yeah, very much, yeah, yeah. You're right. That makes a lot of sense. And looking back now, that's probably very true. I, I, th- I don't think I was just on the on the hunt for any opportunity. It was <laughs> this opportunity was um, a real sledgehammer, and it was one. And that what convinced me to do it to sort of move change career was the fact that it's just a massively uh, a massive market opportunity. The market value um we looked at australia alone as being over two billion dollars of underutilized assets Mm -hmm. available to rent per annum Uh, and at a global level 130 billion dollars worth of uh, underutilized assets just sitting in uh, existing businesses and that's without going into the sort of the uh, the co-working economy as well so we thought we looked at it and just went this is a huge opportunity untapped opportunity and there are no dominant players so at the time there was um, uh, one similar um, business doing it in the US and they might have had five or six thousand listings globally um, and to put this in comparison and with this is when we were looking at it as a as a we we can unlock underutilized assets offices and desks in existing traditional businesses um, workplaces uh, Airbnb had 2 million listings and I looked around and just thought, well, the opportunity set is probably around the same. The, um, the market segment is, you know, it's different residential versus commercial, but there are businesses out there that have huge swathes of unused assets. And then there's the growth of co- co-working, which is just, um, um, snowballed since then as well. And they also list on rubber desks. So it's become a, this perfect storm where and now we've got where we are today, where we've got 15,000 desks on the um, available to rent on, on, on the site across Australia. 
That's fantastic. I, I saw that number as I was um, doing a little bit of pre-reading um, before um, before before this discussion, uh, and it's certainly moved a long way since certainly since you and I first um, first came across each other. So that's I mean, congratulations. That's fantastic. Um, can, can I just uh, I'm keen just just quickly to understand this, and you touched on it before, how you went like your prototyping process. Um, how did you go about it and what did your sort of minimum viable product as, as I often describe, um, what did that look like? What was your first sort of market usable um, system that you put out into the market? Yeah. So um, the MVP is probably best described as a, um, a shop window um, which had minimal functionality behind it and um, lots of manual processing being done behind the scenes. So to that end, you know, the creation of listings was done somewhat manually. Um, we'd get people to um, uh, people with space to email it to us, the details, and we'd, we'd list it. Um, and then we'd go, well, actually, we're getting quite a few of these now. Let's, um, let's create something for them to be able to list it themselves. Um, so you kind of start off by just by putting something up there where you can test the market and just say, well, hey, is anybody actually really interested in doing this? Um, and you look around and see where, where other avenues and where other places people might be advertising. Um, are they advertising in the, in the news agent's window? Are they advertising on Craigslist? You know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and so you, you look around and go, well, actually people are. There is a need. So I can contact them and they're interested in advertising on and listing on Rubberdesk. Now, what are the barriers we can knock down to make it easy for them? Well, we can give it a self-service process. And so you kind of iteratively grow it out. Mm -hmm. But you start off with a very basic framework for a shop, in effect, because that's what a website is, in effect, a marketplace. You've got that framework for, um, for your business, and then you've basically got empty shelves, and you need to put stock on the shelves. So you need to go out and get supply. So we would have spent um, a good nine, 12 months building up supply and that was a long road uh and pretty hard um and so you say we then um so was that was that just you at that point i often used to yeah. talk of of our yeah. business as we when it was just me yeah yeah exactly it, yep. it was me yeah uh, that, that's the royal we yes uh, of course the startup we yep, uh, yep. <laughs> no judgment founder. here none at all <laughs> no, exactly and, the, and it's where the where the term founder is just a uh, a catch-all term for the guy that does everything um yes. it still is isn't it <laughs> and it still is yes exactly it still very much is yep um so, so yeah, how did you go about like the, the knocking on doors you're physically like going around local businesses knocking on doors how, how, how did you go yeah, about that? I, um i i did sort of the the modern day equivalent of um shoe leather which is just picking up the phone and speaking to people yep and over the course of the first year i think i worked out that there's a you know three thousand odd phone calls um that were being made and i was just on the phone the whole time speaking to customers understanding what they wanted what their what their pain points were um, uh, getting a lot of rejections, a lot of knockbacks, um, uh, but just trying talking to people. It was it was exhausting. Um, the that that was, but there was a, it was an invaluable process to go through, uh, and it's one that showed me that there was a huge demand for it. Um, out of I think my success rate was one in three. Thirty percent of every of all the calls I made, one in three would result in somebody saying yes, I will list. That's pretty impressive. 
That was awesome. That's okay. a, it was an amazing statistic. And I didn't know that at the time. It was only at the end of the sort of nine, nine months in, I thought, I should, how am I going? Hmm. Um, and I went back and I had this, um, this spreadsheet I was just going through and um, just working my way through. It went, wow. That's um, 30, one in three, um, nearly just under that, uh, 30%. So, um, yeah, that was, um, that was a great um, – that's what told me, wow, if, if, if I'm talking to people, I'm getting one, uh, that kind of result, then there's demand for this. Absolutely. I mean, and that's sort of a really neat segue into, you know, I wanted to talk a bit more about sort of your the, the profile of your customers. Um, uh, and obviously you've got, you know, I, I suppose you're a, a two-sided marketplace. You're, you're, I mean, your your core customer, I imagine the people paying your bills are, are, are landlords, but of course you've, um, you've got to find users or, or, or tenants there as well. Um, could you sort of break down each of those, like the, the nature of the typical landlord and tenant um, and, um, you know, and how perhaps you've seen that change since you started? Yeah. So, um, so we've got kind of two broad categories of um, uh, host or landlord, you might call them. So, Sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm a property lawyer by trade. I can't. I'll call, I'll call them hosts from now on. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so we've got um, the traditional um, or we've got uh, commercial um, operators, by which I mean um, Regis, um, WeWork, Hub Australia. Uh, I'll stop naming them, but they are people who make their money by um, taking long-term leases uh, at a wholesale rate um, parceling up the property and then selling it on at a retail rate. So <clears throat> commercial operators of uh, co-working spaces. Uh, and they make up um, today about uh, just over a third of our inventory and our stock mm-hmm. and our bookings um, proportionally. So, um, and they are, uh, they were like the low hanging fruit. They're easy to get on board because obviously they're involved in this industry. They, um, uh, they were easy to convince that this was a thing. Uh, and so they they were happy and embraced the um, uh, listing, and they they pay the same fees as everybody else. It's free for them to list, and it, we get paid on success if we place somebody with them. So it's uh, like another another marketing channel for, for absolutely it's another yep. marketing channel for us and for them for them yes absolutely. Um, then we have the traditional businesses who just have spare space. Um, they might be a an ad agency in Surrey Hills who has a, um, um, a 300 square meter office and they only need 150 square meters of it and so they rent out the rest of it. Um, and in that case, um, in one of those cases which we've done, which we've documented in, um, in meet our sort of Meet the Hosts profile, um, they were able to rent it out to another uh, media agency who, um, who rented, uh, I think, 11 desks from them uh, and they've stayed uh, for the last 18 months. So the, uh, but they just pay by the month um, and just keep on, keep on recurring and keep on staying, keep, keep staying with them. So mm-hmm. we've got these traditional businesses who have gone through some event and that event may be that they have taken on or bought a property um, for them to grow into. Um, they aren't using the entire space today, or they may be shrinking from where they were, where they were using the whole space. And they've got to this, un- this freed up space or this space that they are yet to grow into. And that could be one desk, or it might be uh, a floor, or it might be a- an office suite uh, with its own room, uh, own walls and partitions. So there's, there's, there's a 
any number of combinations of those and we've got any number of types of businesses that are doing it so we've got law firms accounting firms um, and we get these nice ecosystems and these nice pockets of business such as a financial industry where there's a, um, a mortgage broker and insurance uh, agent uh, a bookkeeper and accountant and you kind of get these little ecosystems of professional services that can sit really nicely together and and there's a tremendous synergies between them mm. we end up with um, uh, agencies and ad agencies and media architects uh, it's just it's just brilliant how we combine how you combine different um, uh, sectors yeah, I mean, we touched on it before, and for me, as as I think more about this, and again, having been a, a user there in the business, I was, um, you know, a user. Uh, my host was had nothing to do with. There was no sort of synergy or overlap, um, and yet it was a great community building exercise. And um, and I would look at that and say that your, um, you know, a lot of co work the, the co working part of the market seems to pitch itself in part as this ability to create community and to, and to um, forge all of the connections that, um, that you're referring to. But it seems like a more sterile, perhaps less successful approach to achieve that end, um, whereas yours seems a bit more organic and, and, and natural perhaps. Um, has this bit surprised you? Like, was did, did was this part of the plan from the start, or it's something that's um, that, that's grown in in significance in your mind? If I'm reading it right, um, a, as you've gone along, it's uh, it was always part of the plan. <clears throat> it's uh, been surprising how successful that's been. Um, so I always anticipated we were going to be creating communities and ecosystems of businesses. Um, I. Uh, was surprised at how well they have worked. Um, and like you say, even when there's no um, no commonality between sectors and businesses, it's just good people being around good people um, and creating a good vibe. Now, the reason why I think what, our view of why it works so well is because it's, um, and this is where I leave the Airbnb analogy a little bit, because it's more, um, it's less less transitory. There's more permanence about the um, businesses sharing an office space um, than the uh, Airbnb where people rent space for a week or two weeks. With us, the durations tend to be six months to a year. Now, if you've got an office and there's um, uh, two people who come and rent space with you for uh, six months or a year, you get to know them pretty well. And if they're in a smaller environment, then you catch up and you end up talking about the weekend, how um, the, the, you get to understand where the kids go to school, um, and you get to know each other. And it becomes this really nice environment. What we've got in our office is we've got a, uh, an architect, we've got a, a team, a marketing team, we've got um, a, an events um, business, we've got a packaging business, and we've got an, an IT cloud um, uh, tech company so we've got a real mix of businesses within our space we're not competing we're not in the same fields but there's just a really nice environment and it's because we get to meet the the guests and the hosts get to meet before the, the deal is done uh it's never done blind it, unlike airbnb where you rent an off uh, an apartment in new york you don't go and view it beforehand but with office space there's that connection that happens before a booking is made uh, where both sides get to meet, 
um, make sure they've each got one head uh, and they're not um, uh, and they, they can get on and both sides have the ability to say no I don't want to do this or yeah let's go ahead and so it's on mutual consensus that they go ahead and then uh, the, 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 the relationships grow that's I just find, I find that I find that really interesting you know thoughts in my head as you as you're describing it it's um, you, know, you think about the challenges of building networks in business and how that's often a barrier to people and how this in sort of you know this creates a framework through which that kind of thing becomes much easier um, and and more natural and I think ultimately more more valuable um, it also has me you know I, I had some really interesting insights having never worked in um, in the suburbs before in my life and having done it through you know the introductions that, that your business has made um, it has gives me a different perspective on sort of the um, the significance and importance of those commu- like the the suburban based office precincts and what they can deliver and, and I want to sort of get into that because I'm, I'm keen to understand your your geographic spread as well but just to close out this this idea on customers um, so one third to sort of the the, the larger corporate um, co-working providers two thirds to um, to, to businesses generally leasing out surplus space, which I've got to say um, that that surprises me that it's um, and and sort of f- f- fills me with um, with uh, positive thoughts that it's it's so many on the um, on the on the regular business side of things. Um, what about um, so what about tenants and um, or, or your users? What do you call them? Users or customers? Make sure I get yeah. the. the... <clears throat> well, let's go with guests. Guests. Oh, great. Sorry, of course, hosts and guests. Um, yeah. So on on the guest side of things, what do they look like um, in terms of, sort of nature and size of business? So the um, they vary from the individual freelancer, uh, the home worker looking to get out and find the desk, um, which uh, is I don't have statistics in terms of distribution of those. I should probably do that. That'd be interesting to see. Um, but that's a got- new market too, isn't it? Um, I imagine your um, your you're bringing forward a lot of people who wouldn't otherwise be um, who wouldn't otherwise be using space. They'd be sitting in their their you know in their home office or on, on their kitchen table, and you're bringing them out into um, you know to, to to take desk in a corporate environment. Absolutely, yeah. um, uh, in a corporate environment, in a local business environment, it's um, absolutely get, it's getting them getting them out and uh, into the community uh, a bit more um, and more. Uh, not feeling so isolated mm. so that's um that's 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 big and that's working really well um so that's those individual freelancers uh consultants and home workers they are a segment mm-hmm. then there's the um the teams of three to five which is uh, uh another sort of segment and they are um partnerships of small businesses which are starting to grow um and early stage teams um, but they're also, uh, we also find that in terms of the demographic, they can be um, the older partnerships who are very well established and they are just two to three people, three to five people um, who uh, they're not going to change in size and so they know what they need um, and they just keep on doing what they're doing. Uh, and then there's the the bigger teams and they kind of get to um, 10 to 15, probably the biggest inquiries we've had have been about 20 uh, we've had teams of 50 
looking. And those are, and when you get to those sorts of sizes, they are more targeted toward or better suited towards the commercial operators, um, the likes of uh, a WeWork or a, or a hub. And that's where we can help you know, um, find and compare and provide them with solutions um, that, that can help them. But they don't tend to take on, um, you know, surplus space. They tend, uh, we tend to put them directly in touch with a landlord who has a floor or with a commercial operator who has the right space for them and can do the right deal. So it's, it's less about this sort of sharing economy and more about the flexible workspace uh, market. And do you remain for, for those kinds of users? Because I'm interested in the um, the potential overlap with it, with existing markets. And so, for example, you know where you're potentially um, overlapping with you know typical commercial agency type transactions. Yeah. Um, uh, but are you like do you are you making an introduction in that case, or is it just going through the standard framework? Because um, yeah. I, I can imagine that your your model becomes a potentially a bit more difficult to um to operate in those kinds of scenarios so it's a, it's an interesting one we try to keep it um as simple to the end user as we could um and so that what that meant was when they come through and they've got an inquiry we can send them through as a referral um to the um commercial operators who would have the best chance of helping them um, we put them in touch and we connect them and we're not, we don't have a team of salespeople. We're not, um, you know, our, how we're set up is with customer service, customer care people. Um, and that's it. We don't have a big sales desk. So, but the commercial operators, they have people who can show them, show, um, potential guests and potential tenants around. And so they're very well set up to be able to handle inbound traffic, inbound inquiries. So it, we found that we're best off laying out this, the, 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 um, the operators who have um, solutions that can help a, a, a tenant who's got the inquiry and, letting, and then showing, putting them in touch, connecting them, and then letting the, uh, the tenant and the uh, operators um, review, see the proposals, get all the repo- proposals back, and then make a decision. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Um- what, what about geography? How are you um, like? Uh, uh, how are you split? You know, around the country, and I think perhaps more interestingly for me, how are you split between sort of the major CBD centres and, and suburban pockets? So we've um, so we are um, geographically diverse. We're a website. We're, we've contra- contained ourselves to just be Australia today, mm-hmm. um, and we're on the we're about to launch overseas as well. But we're talk about that later fantastic so we are uh today australia where we we've got the model right mm-hmm. um and geographically we as you might expect our centers to, to, uh, around the capitals um and they are probably uh he- most heavily weighted towards sydney melbourne and brisbane and those would be you know the the east coast is, is our um our hottest um uh point uh our, our hottest uh area uh, where we've got the most inventory, mm-hmm. and, and it's and the thing about a marketplace is it, you need um, density of stock, you need availability of stock on the shelves. When so when customers come in and look, that there is availability, and it becomes a, a this sort of snowball effect and you know a repeating effect where as uh, more stock comes in, we tend to close more deals, and then because we're getting more referrals, uh, more people come on and want to list on Rubberdesk, and so it it really is a snowballing effect as we as we as we get activity in an area. 
Or network effects, as you'll tell the, the VCs, no doubt. That's it. That's, That's the, it. That's what I need to look for. I'm writing that down right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so, but what, what about sort of the major CBD centres to suburban um, suburban centres? We've spoken a bit about this. Do, do you have do you have stats on that on that split, or can you give me a, a rough guide? Oh, that's, that's an interesting point. I don't have stats, but we do see, um, as you might expect, this, the CBDs are, um, there's, a, there's a, a lot of stock. That's where the, the, they tend to be located. But then as you go out into the, into the uh, surrounding areas, then we get more pockets. And what's beautiful, what, what, one of the things I love is that um, as we work grows and they, they're, 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 today they're not everywhere. They may be one day, right? But they're not everywhere today. Uh, and so if you are going to a co-working space, you want to go to a commercial operator, they tend to operate in the CBDs and that's where their, their highest density is. But with our model, because we are unlocking traditional businesses, which have spare space, traditional businesses are, are spread out all over, all over the country. So we're able to unlock and find, um, um, spare office space in locations where it doesn't make economical sense for a commercial operator to launch. Um, and, and so like you, might, you might look along the, in Sydney on the northern beaches. Um, we've got a tremendous amount of available stock where there are no commercial operating uh, operators um, in, in business. So it's, it's, it's freeing up underutilized assets in places where it doesn't make economical sense for commercial operators to launch. Interesting. Interesting. Um, just a, a quick jump um, to to something a little bit different. Give you an opportunity to um, uh, to to give yourself a pat on the back, which is is well deserved. Um, so Rubberdesk has recently, in the last sort of six or twelve months, entered into an arrangement with um, with Domain. So we see you guys on commercialrealestate.com.au or your listing uh, your listings. Could you tell us a, a bit about what what that entails and how you got there? Uh, yeah, so um, commercialrealestate.com.au, uh, they have a um, very forward-thinking technology team and are um, uh, they're doing a cr- terrific job. They've got the sales and they've got leasing and they were keen to explore uh, and understand the co-working uh, environment. So they've created a, um, a new section on commercialrealestate.com.au slash co-working. Um, that is exclusively powered by Rubberdesk. Um, uh, and so all the listings which are on Rubberdesk um, are also appearing on um, commercialrealestate.com.au. So it's a really good um, 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 agreement and um, place to be for us. Uh, it gets us a lot of brand value. It gets us a lot of um, uh, additional views uh, and traffic coming through so it's a it's a really good um collaboration between the two of us and just how did how did that come about i mean there are other people doing you know there are other people doing similar things to you guys and and um obviously this player chose to go with you how did you sort of position yourself to um to to bring that about so we've positioned ourselves as a prop tech startup um with the heavy uh bias and emphasis on tech um We've um, positioned ourselves as um, 
forward thinking and technology side because that's where we see uh, the economies of scale and the ability to grow overseas um, uh, and the, this, the advantages as opposed to being a traditional real estate agent who just has lots and lots of warm bodies behind a website. Um, and that's what we typically see as our competition. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, how we're set up is um, we're able to do what we do because of the technology we've got in place. So um, they really like that. Um, we're pretty agile um, and we're able to um, build out a, an API an application program interface mm -hmm. um, that they can use and it plugged in and it was seamless. And really from uh, initial conversation to go live, uh, it was, and this is, this speaks on um, to their credit in terms of their technology um, skills as well as, um, uh, as well as yours, as well as, as well as rubber desks. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very quick to go live. So we were able to turn around something very quickly and uh, it's been working brilliantly and they've, um, they're, they're very happy. Interesting. Uh, I mean, your, your comment there sort of leads me into um, a discussion about how the traditional commercial real estate market um, perceives you. You're saying you're, you're first and foremost a, a prop tech uh, company as opposed to a real estate company. You don't have any sort of career real estate bodies in your team um, unless, unless there's someone I'm overlooking. So, I mean, that puts you in an interesting position to interface with the traditional market. So, I'm, I'm keen to talk about how the traditional market sees you, um, particularly from the landlord side and from the agency side. Um, so, uh, I mean, you and I have discussed this previously when we've when we've had a chat. Um, how is how is the sort of the institutional landlord market, for example, um, looking at Rubberdesk? Um, that's an interesting one because I think um, they, from the conversations we've had with some of the major uh, REITs and um, the, the large commercial landlords around Australia, they are looking at the uh, our market segment. Um, they're very interested and they are looking at how they can um, get involved. Um, they can see that the landscape for commercial off um, office space is changing and changing very quickly. Um, and um, we've seen how uh, the likes of um, GPT and Dexas have launched their own co-working spaces um, and have, in, have indeed invested in um, a platform in, in the US, um, which is a competitor to, to Rubberdesk. So they are, it's, it's still, they're, they're kind of exploring how to get involved in the market. I think the landlords can really see the opportunity and trying to figure out how they can participate and join in. And that could be just through um, uh, enabling their customers to be at a list on the likes of Rubberdesk with their spare office space. Mm -hmm. And that just it makes them now the landlord of choice, right? If, yes. you, can, if you can rent out um, 300 square meters, even though you only need 200 today, and your landlord is supportive of you um, renting out and licensing that extra third, 100 square meters of space so you can cover your costs, then you're in a great position. And that landlord then also gets a pipeline of new customers coming through who are growing mm -hmm. and who get to experience their brand firsthand. 
Um, so it's a, just a it's, a it's a really nice ecosystem from the landlord's perspective. Has that, has that always been the case? I seem to recall when we first spoke about this, you said that the larger landlords were a little bit standoffish. Um, I don't, think they, I don't no. think they knew what to make of it, really. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, um, it's a new phenomenon. I think they, um, they've been um, uh, somewhat uh, tied up on traditional benchmarks, which really have held them back in terms of you know, looking at the whale uh, as a benchmark um, and just being beholden to that. Um, but it really held them back from increasing their um, revenue earnings and customer satisfaction and overall occupancy rates. So I don't, I don't know that that's helped them. They've been in a marketplace where uh, vacancy rates have been a, um, at an all-time low. And so from their perspective, you know, volatility is relatively known in segments so in the area market. So they are looking at, well, why would we? Now I think they are the the the, uh, the press, the media, the, uh, the the dynamics of commercial office space are undeniably changing. With the participants, such as the commercial um, uh, uh, co-working operators, mm. coming in and taking huge swathes of um, of real estate. So there's it's. Um, and, and it's a reflection of businesses, small businesses from the person working from home upwards, um, being a lot more agile, a lot more dynamic, and a lot more flexible, but perhaps having a lot less certainty about what their business size is going to look like in six to 12 months' time. Mm. So, you know, there's, um, it's almost like a perfect storm in these, um, and the flexible office space world uh, is able to react to and, and accommodate that uncertainty in the business market to a degree that the, the physical um, um, space and the traditional view of real estate never has. Yeah, that's, uh, it's really interesting because um, I mean, you're talking about their, their focus on, on whale, the sort of the, um, the weighted average lease expiry for um, these portfolios, uh, which leads them to longer term, um, more fixed arrangements. Um, I'm guessing, you know, have a bit to do with these organisations. I'm guessing their desire to maintain a walled garden from a um, sort of a, a customer slash tenant perspective has them less interested in taking broader market platforms un- under their wing and as part of their um, as part of their framework. But the, the thing that that I think about is that you're, you're helping them give flexibility of term um, and space to to their users. And you know, I wonder whether this is merely a stepping stone to the um, the overarching or standardised framework of those longer, more fixed terms starting to be eroded. And and you know, when this kind of flexibility gets embedded within those um, within the operations of those larger landlords, I can't imagine that's going to happen um, terribly quickly. But it's it's you know. It's interesting to think about where these different trends might might lead to. Um, uh, the, um, the the first podcast we did with um, with Steve Irwin of um, of Colonel Property, a, a leading tenant advocate. He was um, you know he was talking about all of these different um, uh, different options that the larger landlords are giving the, the flexible options. So you know, a Dexas Place or their Office X, I think, is is, um, is something else they've put forward or GPT um, and Space and Co. All of these are, in the scheme of things, relatively small um, encroachments into this new world. And at the end of the day, the overarching performance metrics of these organisations don't drive them to do that so much. So 
um, I, I'm I'm really keen to see and understand how these different um, these different trends are playing out and seeing sort of really you know effective operators like Rubberdesk giving genuine op- options for for tenants and for landlords. Um, but yeah, I think it's you know they're small steps and it's a very interesting space, I guess. Um, uh, the, the other the other thing that I find interesting when talking about how the market is perceiving Rubberdesk is how agent how big agency is is looking at you. Um, I mean, have you had have you do, do you deal directly at all with any of the agencies? Um, have you got any sense of how how they're looking at you as as potential competition to their business? Um, uh, that's an interesting word, competition. I don't think we are a competitor. I firmly believe that we are not a competitor to um, uh, the large uh, agencies. <laughs> And that's from, I speak for, about that from experience. And I think the, you know, our view is that uh, from experience of, you know, the, in the financial marketplace, where you've got this old traditional brokered model, um, uh, and then you've got the new lower touch, more dynamic model, and they work side by side. And uh, from talking, and I think some of the, the smarter agencies get that, and they can see that the value of working together um, one plus one, as one said to me, one of the uh, um, large agencies said to me, um, uh, one plus one equals five. It's the, you know, it's, there's an exponential effect of adding, the, of combining or working together and combining the two types of businesses. Um, that said, we have had relatively little success in terms of engaging the, uh, the larger agencies because we found them traditionally to just to be multi-headed hydras where there's, um, it's very hard to engage um, um, individual agents who are driven on a, a deal-by-deal basis. So our challenge, and we, this is something we acknowledge we need to do, is to put together the referral program for them so we can offer them a share of our um, fees. So they may be focused on um, leasing out a thousand square meters at a time and, and looking after those big deals. But when they have a customer who comes through who's looking for a smaller parcel of, uh, of, of space um, that they aren't well, as well set up to, um, to, to satisfy, then they can refer to us and then we'll, uh, it, through our system, because it's, um, it, we've got the economies of scale, we can handle a large number of inquiries very efficiently. Um, we'll ha- we're happy to split our, our fees 50-50. So that's a model that we're building out from the agents we've spoken to. It's one that they really like. We've already had um, uh, uh, helped some inquiries and some uh, referrals in that way, but we're going to be launching that as a, um, uh, as a product uh, soon. That's interesting. Um, uh, the, the, the point about competition I find, um, I, I find a, bit, a bit fascinating because I think you're right um, you know, from – you know, from where I sit in the cheap seats, you're not really in direct competition with those large commercial agencies. But I suppose that's looking at the world as it sits now. Um, you know, and and as things progress, as the nature of commercial real estate um, progresses and the drivers change, I, I can see those things starting to overlap in future potentially. So um, that, that's a an interesting an interesting relationship going forward. I think. Um, what about what about um, large tenants or, um, or or tenant reps or tenant advocates? You know, coming from the other side, there the people who would actually be looking to, um, you know, to to make better use of their own space. Um, do do you have 
like you know have you gone to a really significant um, te- uh, corporate that has a, a large lease exposure and tried to do similar kinds of deals with with them that you're talking about with the agents where you might say you know you've got this large volume here let us help you with that and we'll share a bit of the upside with you you know because that the volume justifies it no that's not um, that's something we haven't explored uh, to date um, but that's something that I'll be calling you afterwards and getting some um, more ideas on because you're, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because you're absolutely right. That's uh, another the um, the tenant advocates and the, the t- they're the people we need to be engaging um, to be um, to, to to partner up with and to be able to offer um, more choice to customers. And, yeah, um, better comparisons and a better availability and transparency. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, just reflecting on you know on, on our own business, where you know we focus on um, we focus on the main commercial landlords and the, sort of the law firms that that advise them because that's that's the point of leverage for us into the market that that makes most sense. But you know, there's an equally compelling case insofar as value that we can deliver to um, to a customer and us looking at those larger tenants as well in you know ultimately we're enabling people to understand their leases or their lease portfolio so it works on both sides for us but it's not the logical starting point when you're trying to build a business so you know i find that sort of interesting from um, from your side as well something else i find really interesting on um you know when you think about market statistics and you think about vacancy statistics and you get some sense of how those statistics are generated and and circulated into the market it's it's certainly not a perfect science and what you're doing here gives i think even potentially a more granular perspective on what true vacancy levels are um is that something you've ever you've ever thought of because that that's a key indicator for the market and um and you're potentially shining a light on something that that doesn't currently um see the light of day yeah, we, it's, um, it's something we'd like to do a lot more analysis around. <clears throat> We're actually just um, plugging in our uh, big data analytics um, tool and our um, uh, CMO, Tom, is, is going through and starting to pull out a lot more data about this so that we can do a couple of things. Um, we can look at um, density of an availability of stock uh, in, uh, geographically and then help customers understand the value of a desk um, uh, geographically relative to what else is available uh, and then the quality um, quality scores associated with it. So that analysis is something that we see as adding direct value to our customers because um, we can show them what their um, uh, chances of um, rental are um, based on their pricing points and where their pain points are in pricing and we can show them um, what else is around um, and we can show a lot, an awful lot more in terms of vacancy relative to current industry levels so it's you know what we found is that uh, as we're going through this process is that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of data that we've we've got and we've captured uh, like I said with 15,000 desks spread out and spit out all around Australia it's um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a it's an awesome um, data set to be able mm-hmm. to uh, look at and analyze. And that's something we expect to explore and, uh, and, and use um, over the coming months. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, one thing I look at, you know, we're, we're very much a, a data-driven organization. One thing that I find really exciting about the industry is the, is the opportunities that better information can deliver. Um, unfortunately, I'm not going to get time to really dig into it anymore um, on this 
particular podcast, we were speaking about the community side of things before and um, you know, my own experience with your service through, through um, suburban office hubs and you know, a really interesting phenomenon I'm, you know, if, I, if I look forward that, that I think might start to come to fruition is you know, more um, engaging and relevant um, suburban-based hubs, what ones that work much better as as destinations, and and you know if if you know if working populations start to move, perhaps or, or I won't say they'll move out of the CBD, but they'll grow more significantly in in suburban centres. How is it that those centres can be made better places for people to go to, so that I suppose less, <clears throat> pardon me, less hard commercial. Um, data driving that kind of thinking, but certainly those less tangible metrics are becoming more and more important for um, for the industry as a whole. You know the the you know the livability or the you know the the, the benefit that individuals get um, in working in particular environments, and and I can see yours being you know a, a comp- you know, piece in that puzzle, a, a component of that. So. Um, again, I'd, I'd love to talk to you more about that, but I think we're going to get um, we're going to get caught for time. Um, I think I, you've, I, got, I, you've got another whole series of podcasts. A, right ab- absolutely, but you know the, the thing that excites me, as I said, excites me about about Rubberdesk is is its community building aspect. I, I, I found that personally to be a fantastic thing, introducing me to people and teaching me things I would never. You know that I would never have seen before, um, and this is this is not a paid advertisement. I'm just <laughs> uh, I'm just sort of talking from my own experience, and and hopeful, you know, hopeful that those sort of things can grow a bit more. Um, Jim, I, I might I might wrap it up there. I'm I'm conscious of your time. One question um, I like to ask at the end of, um, of of each podcast, this being the second, but of each of them, is is something that doesn't relate necessarily to what you're doing with Rubber Desk. A more general question, perhaps giving you thirty seconds to tell um, you know our our, our tens of of, of listeners um, mm-hmm. a bit more about you. What is it, Jim, that that you are obsessed about? Um, and again, it doesn't have to relate to Rubber Desk; could be something totally different. What's something that you find yourself fixated on um, on on a regular basis at the moment? Could be something big, could be something small. Um, Wow. Um, from uh, well, it, it, look, it is. I'm a hundred percent in involved with the rubber desk. You kind of it's, it's sleeping, breathing. You know, when it is, it's what it's like when you're um, you're setting up and creating. Absolutely. It's uh, so what what, my... what aspect of that do you find like that really drives you then? Like, what what's something that you you think a lot about? Whether it's a massive I, opportunity or a really interesting part of what you're doing. The um, I just think what we're building here, and you've touched upon it in terms of um, uh, the suburban areas and how it affects how we live and how we work, is that we are just at the tip of the iceberg right now with what we're doing. Um, we are by unlocking where people work, and it's just such a huge part of people's lives. You know where you go to every day. Um, that and there are so many other op- possibilities with it, where we can go and what we can do. Um, so we've got, uh, and I'm not going to talk about them all because I'm conscious that um, out of the tens, let's, let's be honest, hundreds of hundreds. listeners. Hundreds. Uh, <laughs> that, um, there, there's probably uh, some competitive ears out there, but we've got these, these plans which, are, which take and expand and, ex- and explore where uh, the future of work is going to it goes. Um, the data and where it leads, it's just super exciting. There's, um, and the value it adds um, is just 
uh, unlocking a huge potential. So you, you started touching on it uh, in terms of unlocking the, uh, the future of work and, and, and life. And I think there's, um, it, it, it goes into, uh, there's, there's a lot of opportunities and a lot of really interesting channels that goes down. Oh, we've we've perfectly set up the sequel then. Um, Jim, I, hope, I, hope, I hope we can speak more about this, whether it's um, over a cider and circular key um, at some point soon or on another podcast. Jim, really appreciate you taking the time today telling us about Rubber Desk. Um, uh, best of luck with it, and yeah, hopefully we can we can have another chat another chat at some point at some point in the future. Thanks, Jim. Cheers, sir. Take care. This is Alistair Fitzgerald again. Thank you for listening. Details from this episode can be found in our show notes for the podcast. You can find us at fieldql.com. That's F-I-E-L-D-Q-L.com. On the main social media platforms as at fieldql and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash fieldql. We'll see you again on the next episode of The Field Trip. Thanks again.